When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 25, and we're recording on May the 4th of May the 4th Be With You, Yay. which is just perfect. Um, I didn't realize that we were going to be recording on Star Wars Day <laughs> until, I, <laughs> until I started writing the show notes, and I was like, aha. Wow. I know. So I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today's theme is immortality, because it's not just for vampires. Um, But before we get into that, I want to remind you all that we have a mystery giveaway going on. There are 15 amazing mysteries um, that you could win. They're all from diverse authors. We've got POC authors and LGBTQ and all that good stuff. Um, And the giveaway is open until the end of May. May 9th, so the day that you are listening to this, if you listen on the day it launches, is the last day of the giveaway. So you go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter, and you definitely should. There's some really good stuff on there. This is like a total week of nerdery with May the 4th and free comic book day. I almost That's right. Yeah. I almost wished that maybe, well, we can always talk about Star Wars stuff and clones and comics. Right, but if only we had thought ahead, we could have timed it. (laughs) I'm trying not to be too hard on myself. Well, 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 what can you do? I like immortality too. Okay, so before we start talking about newsy stuff in science fiction and fantasy, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Vicious by V.E. Schwab, and this is coming to us from Tor Books. So the story goes, Victor and Eli started out as college roommates, brilliant, arrogant, lonely boys who recognized the same sharpness and ambition in each other. In their senior year, a shared research interest in adrenaline, near-death experiences, and seemingly supernatural events reveals an intriguing possibility that under the right conditions, someone could develop extraordinary abilities. But when their thesis moves from the academic to the experimental, things go horribly wrong. So if you're as big a fan of uh, V.E. Schwab as we are, and that sounds like it's right up your alley, you should definitely go check out Vicious. And that's again from Tor Books. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right. Let's see. Um, I think we've had a story on the agenda just for weeks and have never gotten around to it. And yes. in, since we are having a Star Wars moment here, I'm going to I'm gonna pick that one. Um, and it is that Star Wars has gotten its first black female uh, director as the second unit director Yay. on episode nine. Her name is Victoria Mahoney. And I saw this post go up and I was like, I have no idea what a second unit director is. Um 
And if you also did not know, it turns out that a second unit director is basically a director backup. Um, So they shoot in two different units. um, And the second unit, which has a director, does a lot of things like establishing shots and stunts and cutaways and all of that stuff. Um, And they're working at the same time as the main, the other crew, so that the film gets done faster. I just find this fascinating. It's so interesting. Um, And so the, yeah, so the second unit director is working sort of autonomously trying to like get all of that footage and gets to influence how that looks, um, which is super interesting. So Victoria Mahoney is uh, the director in question. She has done episodes of Queen Sugar and Grey's Anatomy and Claws and Power. Um, she also directed the pilot of uh, an adaptation of a British sci-fi show called Misfits. Um, and so, yeah, she's done a bunch of work, clearly. And um, I'm just excited for, even if it is not, like, you know, the first unit director, it's second unit director, I'm excited to see that there's starting to be some movement towards diversity in the pe- in the crew of Star Wars, as well as in the casting. Yeah, because there have been conversations about that. And I know we talked about it maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. And, yeah, I was excited as well. And I also had to look up what a second director, yeah. like, I <laughs> I've just never heard it. I guess you just never really hear about them that much. But Mm -hmm. I know that is probably like a big deal. And that's why it came out um, in the news because of, you know, it's been mostly male and white dominated with the Star Wars universe and all the films that are coming out. So I'm really like, I'm really curious to see if, I don't know if it'll be evident from the movie or anything like that, but. Um, I think it's just great news, and I think that hopefully this is going to get them to think a lot more about diversity and inclusion across the board in including mm-hmm. people on staff and in the cast. Um, so we're, we'll see, but this sounds excellent. I can't wait to see what she does in the future and with the Star Wars universe, and I hope she's involved long term. Mm-hmm, same. Excellent. And I actually want to talk about, you know what, actually, do you want to talk about the Harry Potter gameplay first? Oh, let's do that. Yes, because I, I have some it. thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh, you my. go first. Okay. So we've been talking about this new Harry Potter game that came out. Um, I believe it's from Jam City. I know because I've been staring at the game a lot <laughs> lately. So <laughs> this new mobile game, uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts mystery. I was excited. You were excited. We were all excited about this new game that was coming out because it allows you to get in there and create your own character. You could exist in the, you know, Harry Potter in the wizarding world. Um, and there are a lot of cast voices from the actual films. So I got into it. I downloaded it. We both downloaded it the day mm-hmm. it came out. And that was, I think, just last week. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, I I think maybe my hopes were very high. And this is a thing that I try not to do with this sort of situation where it's like, it's obviously the Harry Potter universe. I'm very invested. I have lots of feelings about it. And then I build it up in my head about what this game is going to look like. And it was actually like, I really like the look of it. I... I loved hearing the music going in and all the little Harry Potter stuff, but I just had so many difficulties with just playing the game long enough before Mm -hmm. I ran out of energy and I saw a lot of people 
had, took issue with that, you run out of energy so quickly. And in order to play this game, you expend a lot of energy doing these tasks to move the plot along. And your options when you run out of energy are either to buy more energy. And you don't have like, you have to pay with these diamonds or gems. And you don't get a lot right from the off from the outset. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I feel like I've been playing for like three minutes and I already have to stop and like wait for it to recharge. That right, was my big frustration. It, yeah, either you pay for it or it takes about four minutes to get one energy ball and you need like I mean, 25. you start out with 20. Yeah, you, you start out with like around 20 plus and you do run out of them really quickly. Yeah, I I I have I'm a, a little bit of two minds about it because I, I I don't play a lot of mobile games but talking to people about this one I've come to understand that this is a pretty standard setup I guess um, okay. that that either you sit and you wait or you pay um, that's apparently pretty standard like somebody was telling me that some of the Marvel games operate the exact same way so I, I and I can understand it from a developer point of view like it's a free game and now I honestly would rather have paid a little bit upfront to have a better energy like timer experience but because I don't I try not to spend I'm willing to pay for an app that's good up front I'm not super willing to do add-ons as I go that's just how I operate with apps and app games so like I don't like to be nickel and dimed once I'm in the game I'd rather pay once um but whatever. It, it, I I do enjoy the fact that it is easy to play otherwise. Like, it's not hard to navigate. The graphics are pretty slick. There's a lot of customization options for your character. Like, a lot of the mechanisms of the game I super appreciate because I am not, I think I've said before, I'm really terrible at games that require a high level of, like, quickness and high an, an, hand-eye coordination and things like that. And this game requires none of them. But you can't play for longer than 10 minutes unless you're willing to to spend some money. So, you know, if you're willing to shell out for it, I'm sure it's a much more seamless game experience, but you just really you really can't play for very long without having to put it down. And some which wouldn't be a huge problem for me. I'm fine with a slow burn, except that then some of the tasks that you're in the middle of but can't complete time out, so then you have to start them all over again. Yes. And that's incredibly frustrating to me too. So, it's just a whole sort of like, I, I think I will keep playing it, honestly, when I remember, but it's certainly not going to get a ton of my time and attention, and it's definitely not going to get any of my dollars. I, you know, that's not the kind of thing I'm willing to pay for when I play games. And if it had been like a, I don't know, like a, let's call it five ninety nine for a, for the game, you know, to a certain point, I might have done that, but, you know, eh. I get it. I get it. It's just, yeah, I think for people who really want to just like sit and play a game for three hours, this is going to be super frustrating for you. Yeah. And I also don't play a lot of mobile games. So maybe I am, I don't have that understanding either. I don't have the experience with this sort of setup, but if it is standard, that is what it is. But I'm in the same camp. I would have preferred to pay like even $5.99 just to have a smoother experience. And -hmm. the problem I think was that it just happened so quickly when you start out in the game. So you're just getting into it and you're Mm -hmm. super excited. I'm completely speaking from my experience, super excited about it. And then it feels like a minute or a couple Mm -hmm. minutes in, you're like, 
oh, I can't even do like the first task. Right. (laughs) Accurate. No, that's accurate. I did get stuck in the middle of the first task and I couldn't exit it either. It was a task that wouldn't let you leave because there are some like little hidden caches around the castle where you can get like one or two extra energy balls. But otherwise, yeah, no. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, that's that's Harry Potter gameplay. <laughs> Probably still gonna play it, but yeah, not everything. It's it's not it's not my dream and what I thought Aww. it was going to be. Womp, womp, that's okay. Womp. <laughs> I have other things to do. Indeed. Do you want to pick a news story since that wasn't technically news? Um, sure. Can we actually talk about because this one's been on the list for a while too, and I just think it's so fascinating. It's the Ursula Le Guin story, <laughs> and it's because I actually went ahead and listened. So, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, Ursula Le Guin has an Electronica album, which is the strangest. That was the strangest headline <laughs> I've seen in a while, and. <laughs> In my head, I was like, oh my gosh, this is clickbait. Like, there's no way. But it is. She has an electronic album. You can listen to it. Like, this article that we'll have a link to actually has the track listings. I went ahead and listened to it. So she made this album, um, which was created with electronic musician and composer Todd Barton. And it was supposed to accompany her 1985 book, Always Coming Home, which I haven't read. But it's been reissued um, after her death in January. And um, this article says that, you know, the Always Coming Home was a really fascinating and underrated work. And it was an exploration of a fictional people known as the Kesh who lived in Northern California hundreds of years in the future. And so this this soundtrack, this electronic album is supposed to sort of have these – Uh, Not only, like, the sounds of this fictional people and this fictional time and period, like, it has this language that's completely made up. So it's just, like, in the long tradition of science fiction and fantasy writers making up their own languages and getting really deep into the world Mm -hmm. building, this is one of those things. And I listened to it, and it totally reminded me of, like, it sounds very new agey to me. Mm. And I think like that, like Enya New Agey. I was gonna say, do you remember that band Enigma? This yes, so I lame. do. <laughs> <laughs> was obsessed with Return to Innocence for a long time. <laughs> me too. Oh my goodness, <laughs> so, so bringing me back. It is. It and it reminded me of that. And I was like, wow, why do I feel so much nostalgia around this? And it made me want to read Always Coming Home because I was like, this is super interesting. And I just thought it was. I just think it's so amusing and so great that even after her death Ursula Le Guin can surprise us with something like this so what do you I can think? I confess that I was afraid to listen to it I like avoided okay. this story for reasons because I do I'm as you might know if you've listened to the show I'm very attached to Ursula Le Guin's works um and I think I think I've read 
almost all of them, although at varying points in my life. So how clear my memories are is like, like I went through a lot of them as a teenager um, and then have reread some of them since then and discovered new ones. But I I am super attached to her stuff. And I was like, oh God, what if I hate it? Like, what if it's, yeah. what if, like not even what if it's not good? Because obviously music is very subjective. Like it could be good, but I could hate it. And I was like, I just, I don't think I can bear to listen to it on the off chance that I don't like it. Um, and uh, so I ha- I've been afraid to listen to it. Um, although I will say that you having screened it now makes it fractionally more likely that I'll listen to it, especially okay. with the end. I'm like, I can handle like an Enigma comp maybe. Um, also looking at this story, it says that she invented some instruments in the book and the musician that she worked with actually built them based on her descriptions, which I I think is super interesting. So uh, that makes it a little bit more interesting to me, but I'm still very like, oh, I don't know if I can handle it. Like if I don't like it, I just don't know if I can bear it. Um, So, but, but I completely agree with you that it is just a joy that she, you know, she is no longer with us, but she does continue to surprise and delight us. And that is wonderful. Yes. So, it's, yes. it's a nice thing. And if anybody's too afraid, just have it on like really low in the background. <laughs> and you, can, you probably can't hear too much of it. I don't know. That might not help. But, but there it is. It exists in the world if you want to check it out. Excellent. What do you want to go with next? Oh, what do I want to talk about next? Gosh, there's so much. I know. It feels like, I mean, there's just a lot here. Um, I don't, I, some of this, I'm trying to think of what's the newsiest thing. I guess George Martin is the newsiest thing. Um, although if you're listening to their podcast, you probably already know. But the announcement came that there is a book coming out this year, but it's Fire and Blood, which is not actually a novel. It's a imaginary history, um, I believe, about the Targaryens um, before the events of Game of Thrones. So everybody was wanting Winds of Winter, the sixth novel, to come. It is not coming. It will not be coming for a while. Um, and I can't say I'm surprised. I, mm-hmm. I, I, my personal theory about this is that George Martin has like the most epic case of writer's block in the history of writing. Um, and that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. Like, I just believe that I, it seems clear to me the book has not been finished and I, and the fact that he's worked on so many other things since then, like he's written this, you know, and he's got a bunch of other things in other worlds that he's contributed to. Like, I just feel like he's paralyzed and doesn't know what to do, which is understandable. I mean, think about the pressure. Like, again, this is all in my head. This is all theory. I know nothing. But if it were me and I had written one of the most successful fantasy properties, like, in the world, I would be freaking the hell out. And I wonder, I wonder if that's not a factor here. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because I don't know if I've ever heard of anything this big where the book, the adaptation went ahead of the book that too that too so Mm -hmm. not only is it that he has to people are going to be comparing whatever he writes next with his previous work and he Mm -hmm. has to like close out these gajillion little stories and plot points yeah but also you know people are going to see it end on tv and they're going to be comparing it with that and 
I don't know. I stopped. I read, I think, the first three books, and I just stopped, and I was like, you know what? I I made that horrible choice where I was just like, I'm just going to watch the show and be done with this series, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like blasphemy, but... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a legit choice, especially when it's there and yeah. it's actively being produced. Yeah. And so I also feel for him. I feel for him. I wouldn't want to be in his situation. And if it is writer's block, I, I can't even imagine what that must feel like. But it's, it's almost, it's difficult because you see people react to this sort of story. And I saw people's online reactions mm-hmm. to this story. It was very angry. It was a very mm-hmm. angry world for a moment. And then it, you think about like, well, he, he sounds like he's almost being a little bit cheeky about it, mm-hmm. that they're not getting the winds of winter. And I'm like, is he being like weirdly defensive or like, right. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his head. And I, I mean, I almost sort of just want to hear him say he has writer's block, but you know, that's not up to me. That's it's his world. It's his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not going to read this, um, new book. Fire and Blood. You're yes, not going to read the fire. history of the what's no. it? No, I'm no. not. I'm not. Like, <laughs> I mentioned before, I'm not like the reader of the Silmarillion by, uh, mm-hmm. Tolkien. And I, these books just don't, for whatever reason, appeal to me, especially when there's another, the series hasn't even been done yet. It's like, okay, we're mm-hmm. stepping back in time and writing a, you know, a fictionalized history of this world that's not concluded in my head. Like, I don't have Mm -hmm. any sort of, you know, closure. (laughs) So, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. Yeah. Just to feel bad for him a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I don't feel super bad for him. Like, he's got lots of money. He can afford therapy about it. Like, it's fine. If that's what's going on, I'm just guessing here. But, you know, it is is an interesting dynamic to see playing out because I also don't know – that there has ever been a series that was in progress that has had this much media attention as it was going on. Like it was a big deal when Robert Jordan died before finishing the wheel of time, but they got Brandon Sanderson on that pretty quickly. Um, and we did have a wait between, you know, the Jordan books and the Sanderson books, but th- that never reached this level of popularity. So I, I don't know that there's anything even like it that's happened before where the internet could react in real time to the writing of these books that are in process. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a really interesting dynamic to look at from a, from a sort of like, if I'm going to be like a sociologist and take a step back and watch the whole thing, it's interesting to me to see it all playing out. Um, But I absolutely understand the frustration of the fans who are just like, Oh my God, give me the next thing. Yeah. (laughs) I I totally understand. I agree. It'll be interesting to see when it comes out, if it ever mm-hmm. comes out, like how people will finally react to that story. But yep. who knows when that'll be? Who knows? So shall we get to talking about our recommendations for immortality? Let's do it. Oh, wait. But first we need to do our second sponsor, which is us. It's Annotated, which is one of our other podcasts. Clearly, since you're listening to a podcast right now, you are a fan of podcasts. And Annotated is our audio documentary series about books, reading, and language. Um, And it is a 20-minute show that's a little bit different in format from shows like this, which are more chatty. Um, Instead, each episode takes a specific topic and does a deep dive into it. So for 
example, there is an episode from season one that is all about the Oxford comma. Um, and there is another episode uh, from season one that I think y'all will be particularly interested in. That's called The 17-Year-Old Who Invented Science Fiction. And it is the story of how Mary Godwin came to write Frankenstein and in doing so write the first great work of science fiction. And there's also another episode in there about 1984. Um, this new season has just started. So there are new episodes being produced that you can listen to as they come. So there's a lot of good stuff in there, including some sci-fi fantasy content. And then you should definitely check it out. So that is at bookriot.com slash annotated. Go and give it a listen. Uh, let us know, as always, what you think. Excellent. And I guess I'm going to kick it off with mm-hmm. my first pick, which is my fantasy pick. And I'm going to talk about Circe by Madeline Miller, which has been all over the news. Well, bookish world news. Indeed. And has found a place deep in my heart. Um, So this is the follow-up to Miller's The Song of Achilles, which was published in 2012. And I had no idea that the book was published so long ago. Uh, The Song of Achilles, not Circe. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to read The Song of Achilles first. I haven't read The Song of Achilles. And if I hadn't known about um, the previous book, I wouldn't have guessed that the story was attached to any other in any way. I saw somebody ask about that. Um, I think it was on our Slack back channel. And I was curious. And finally, when I got to the end, I was like, nah, you don't have to read The Song of Achilles. But mm-hmm. I did buy The Song of Achilles. And I cannot wait to get to that as well now that I've read Circe and discovered how much I love Madeline Miller's writing. Um, so anyway, Circe is really deep in my wheelhouse If I'm ever at a loss for what to read, I think I can pretty much just go look up Circe Readalikes because it's (laughs) witchy. It's about a woman leading a mostly solitary life. It's a mythological retelling. I love all of those things. She has a cat and, I mean, a feline of sorts, but, you know, it has Mm -hmm. cat lady vibes all the way. Nice. <laughs> so all these things really appealed to me, and I just feel like I would love to live in Miller's imagination. But I wouldn't necessarily like to be Cersei, because if you've re- ever read about, you know, the pantheon of mythological gods, you will know that they are mostly awful beings. Like, I remember <laughs> reading them as a child, like the Greek mythology stories, and being like, oh my goodness, these these characters are terrifying. Um, And that's certainly true here in this book. This is a story about not one, but many immortals, the titans and the Greek gods and goddesses. You've got nymphs and monsters and all of those creatures you see and the heroes set in ancient Greece. And the story actually follows and is based on Circe, who is in Greek mythology, she was a goddess of magic, a nymph, and a sorceress, and Miller takes that mythology and the classic stories of heroes to spin Circe's tale into this bigger coming-of-age story where we get really intimate with Circe, getting to know her thoughts, her family, and the details of how she comes into her power and faces this world that underestimates and really devalues her. And I say coming-of-age story, but I want to be clear, this is not young adult or anything like that. It's just, you know, general fantasy. Even though they call it literary fiction, it is <laughs> a fantasy story. Um, 
So yeah. So when we meet Cersei, and the story, by the way, is told in first person. She's telling the story of her life. And I'm really not a stickler for perspective as long as it's executed well, but Lately, first person is my jam, and it was really wonderfully done here. Circe's the daughter of Helios, who's a titan. He's the god of the sun. He drives his flaming chariot across the sky, that whole deal. And she's also the daughter of a nymph who's outmatched in beauty. She is the sister to three complicated siblings, and in my mind, they're the kind, like if you're trying to relate them to people of today, they're the kind of siblings you would accidentally lose touch with or whose calls you'd accidentally and consistently miss they're really not great people (laughs) they're just terrible um but Cersei is really different from everyone in her family she has a really weird voice she doesn't have their beauty uh she's treated and she thinks of herself as lesser than but she's also really different in other ways. Uh, even though she doesn't have the abilities or the beauty of the nymphs as a child, especially when people are talking about her, she's told that she's not beautiful and that she's weird. Um, but then she discovers her powers later. And when these abilities surface, these occult abilities, when they're discovered, they're seen as a threat. And she becomes this target or whipping boy thanks to politics, of course. And they really underestimate her because they think she's plain and meek. But Circe has strengths. The gods, um, their very nature bars them from seeing her strengths and understanding her strengths. And she's banished, but the banishment isn't the end of her story or her dealings with men and gods. So she goes through, you see a lot of... um, You see a lot of familiar gods and goddesses come in and out of her life and heroes, of course, of mythology, even though she's in one place for most of the story, really. Uh, But Madeline Miller is a genius with words. The language isn't fussy. The tone is really reminiscent of these classic mythological stories. It took me back to when I was obsessed with those stories. Um, Yeah, and if you're into the mythology, you'll recognize a lot of these characters who flit in and out of her life. And I just found that utterly, um, utterly delightful because it reminded me of you know, some characters I hadn't thought about in a while, and it gave their stories really imaginative and logical nuances and connections. And I think anybody, anyone who loves mythology will love this. I told my sister, who was also obsessed with mythology, to read it before I'd even finished, because we both grew up reading, um, I can't say, I can't even pronounce the name of this illustrated classics Greek mythology book that we both loved. It's Dialers or somebody oh, else. Oh, Dialers yes. is how I always said it, but I grew up on that one too. Yes, I loved those. And yeah, my sister just tore through this book in a couple of days. I knew she would love it. So if you're ever looking for books for your friend or your relative or whatever who loves mythology, I would definitely, definitely recommend Circe. And again, that was by Madeline Miller. I loved the song of Achilles. I read it when it came out, and I have Cersei at home. I haven't gotten to it yet, oh, but um, you love it. I have those same nostalgia feelings, and yeah, I was obsessed with the Odyssey and the Iliad as a kid, and of course, did not really notice the portrayal of women. So mm-hmm. when I heard like, "Oh, feminist take on the Odyssey," I was like, "Sign me up for that!" <laughs> like, I'm here for it. Um, so she is immortal because she's 
like a is she a goddess technically or a demigoddess? What's her um She's sort considered of- I think she's considered a nymph in the story, but mm. she is immortal because she's the daughter of all of the nymphs are immortal and all the gods okay. and goddesses. So she's not mortal at all. Um and that's a big part of her story as well. And they talk about, so in terms of the theme of immortality, it's a big part of the discussion of, like, the callousness you develop and Mm -hmm. what it means to be immortal and not have your humanity and the differences between people who cherish their life because it's short and those who don't. So a lot of the cruelty comes from that place of immortality, which I thought, I just find that really fascinating. Yeah, it's super interesting how, I mean, that's why we picked it as a theme, like how immortality gets portrayed and not like just in like the vampire way. <laughs> like yeah. we'll do a separate show about vampires. Those, yeah. They're a whole different thing. Um, yeah. So my my fantasy pick I'm, I'm referring to as science fantasy just because there is a moment where some like, you know, genetic e- explanation is attempted, but it really is more on the fantastical side. It's My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reeve Du who Sharifa has loved forever um, and I finally read one and I just kind of picked this one I don't even remember I think I was like late night Libby surfing which is the thing that I do <laughs> like trying to find books from my library and I was looking at Dew's work and this was the one that was available so I was like oh I'll download that and read it um And it is about, it's the first in the African Immortals series. So it's right there in the series title. Um, And it's about a couple uh, named Jessica and David. And Jessica is like your average young woman. She is, um, she's a reporter. She is now a mother because she and David have had a child together. Um, She's very ambitious. She's working on like a big story about elder abuse um, in, you know, nursing homes. And she is thinking about writing a book. Like she's just like kind of a really... Really, she's wonderful. She's a very relatable, ambitious young woman, very smart. Um, and she is married to David, like I said, but she doesn't know that David is like 4,000 years, well, no, excuse me, like 400, 500 years old. Um, he is an immortal. He became, he wasn't born that way. He became one. Um, he joined a secret sect um, growing up in Ethiopia where you are granted immortality um, as part of this process. And he has been around ever since. Um, And so like he has lived through, you know, the colonization and slavery and is now um, married to Jessica, uh, living like a normal life in like, you know, America. When they met, he was her Spanish professor. Like it's very, it all seems so normal, but do is so good at like giving this very sinister undertone to it. And the book literally starts out with a murder. So like (laughs) you kind of know what you're in for as it goes on. Um, and what happens is that there are these string of murders sort of surrounding Jessica and she starts to figure out that something is not right. And in the meantime, these murders have attracted the attention of the other members of the sect to, that David is a part of. And so David has to decide, like, does he tell Jessica? What what can he tell her? What's going to happen to their family? Like, what does it mean to, like be a father and a husband when you have outlived literally every other person you've ever loved. Like this is not his first family. 
family. He's been through a lot. Um, and as you might imagine, like, and, and this is one of the, I, it, I think it might be the only book I've ever read that deals with what it would be like to be immortal as a black person, which is, you know, a thing that doesn't really get talked about, right? Like, it's just not, but but you see him, you know, sort of go through um, the world and, like, the things that he encounters. And it's not even that he can't die. It's just that he comes back. So, like, he gets lynched in one scene. Like, this is a really potentially triggering book, yeah. Um Yes, there's a lot of, you know, like there's sexual assault in this book and there's harm to children and there's, you know, racism and and all of that stuff. Um, and you see him go through this. And so, like, it's not that he can't be hurt. It's not that he can't die. He just keeps coming back in his body. Um, and so what does that mean? Like, what does it mean for him? How What would that do to a person? Like, what would that do to your psychology? What would you feel is justifiable going forward? Do, would you even get attached? to people who are not immortal like how do you deal with all of that stuff um and like I said there is like a brief moment of an attempt at uh genetics explanation but there's also a lot of religion in this Jessica's particularly devout she's a Christian um and she is uh like she's always wished that David would be more devout and doesn't really know why and like so seeing their two approaches to the supernatural becomes really interesting because this question of religion gets pulled into it it's just so well done it's so there's so much depth here and so much um exploration of these really interesting concepts but it also feels like like a like a murdery thriller like it, it it is a thriller and for all intents and purposes there's action sequences and there's you know some gore and like some really tense chases and all of that stuff so you know her ability to do all of that all at the same time is just stunning she's an amazing writer I can see why people are constantly recommending her like this is this is amazing and I'm on the hold list for the next book in this series because I'm like what are they gonna what's gonna happen next like oh but she does she does end it in a like relatively satisfying place where if you weren't ready for a whole nother series you could like put it down and be like I feel like I got a really good story out of this like there's a lot packed into just this one book and it it is amazing but there's more where that came from and I definitely want to check it out but yeah it was I I I was telling Sharif I kind of fell down a rabbit hole about trying to find immortal beings in fiction who were not white Mm -hmm. and like how they like where are they and what are what do they look like um and it's kind of not a long list um for for reasons that I think are pretty clear like it's it's a little bit more complicated to handle these questions of immortality when you are not just like a white person with all the privileges of whiteness. So totally. so I think it's really fascinating and um and I really I just I can't recommend this book highly enough. Like it's just it's so well done. It's so well done. Yeah. So that's My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reefdu. The only other one I could think of but I had already like literally just talked about it was Octavia <laughs> Butler's Wild Seed. And that whole, oh, yes. uh, yeah, that whole series, mm-hmm. um, she does go back like to tribal Africa and then they mm-hmm. go to the U.S. and they deal with racism there. And it is always brutal. Like that's so, yes. that's the difficult part. It's so brutal. Um, I had a, I had 
difficulty like reading that book I needed breaks um so I would probably need them with with your pick as well but it sounds yeah. really excellent she's so good I love Tanana Reeve too yeah and I will say that she sort of um she keeps it mostly in the present of the book which is like sort of implied to be like I don't want to I, I want to guess like I don't know. It, it, it's it's current. There's not like a ton of technology in it, but there's like computers and there's, you know, science, medical science. And it was first published in 97. So like, yeah. you know, I think it was meant to reflect the technology of the time at the time it was published. Um, so, yeah, it's not like super techie, but it, it she does try to keep it focused on the current. But you do dip in and out of David's history and you're just like, dang, like not all of yeah. it's terrible, you okay. know, because he spent most of his life before coming to the United States in Africa and Europe and then came to the United States during uh, like the, I want to say it was the late 1800s. I don't remember the exact date, but, but, and, and like you see him deciding to come and you're just like, no, <laughs> stay out like, of the US. <laughs> Like he, he like goes to the North where, you know, there isn't any slavery and he's like, I'll be fine. Like famous oh, last man. words. You're just like, oh God. Um, so yeah, it, it was <sighs> not a, it's not an easy read. Um, certainly that's, that is certainly true. It sounds excellent though. Yeah. Um, uh, so my next pick is actually science fantasy as well, but I think it it probably falls more into the science fiction camp. So it's the other side of the spectrum of science fantasy. Um, but so my pick is The Book of Phoenix by Nnedi Okorafor. Uh, this is the prequel to Who Fears Death. So it's listed as book 0.1 on Goodreads, <laughs> which I always find interesting the way they number these things. Um, so, yeah, the Book of Phoenix is magical futurism. So I am definitely back in my cozy science fantasy camp. I seem to read a lot of that. Um, except maybe not so cozy because there's a lot of death and destruction in this book. <laughs> and I should give a trigger warning for self-harm, by the way. I'm going to mention it at the top so you can feel free to skip ahead if need be. Um, but the story follows an accelerated woman named Phoenix. And Phoenix is accelerated or superhuman basically by science. So she's raised in what's essentially a scientific compound it's this genetics facility in New York. And when we meet her, she's two years old, but she has the body and the mind of a grown woman. I think she's supposed to be more around like 40 years old mentally. Or when she's three, she's like the equivalent of 40 mentally. Um, but for a science experiment, she leads a pretty humdrum life in this bounded world she exists in, in, in this facility, uh, on this compound. But then everything changes when somebody she's close to, who's also created by geneticists, takes his life. And that's where the, you know, the self-harm stuff comes in. So that's the big event that motivates a lot of this story or changes Phoenix in a huge way. So Phoenix doesn't understand why he did what he did. And she can't seem to get any answers from the scientists. And how his death is handled removes this veil from her living situation and the culture that created her. And this event sets off this chain reaction and something really shifts in her emotionally and physically. And Phoenix starts to fight back against this world that's created her and that keeps her imprisoned. 
uh, which is bad news for the people who made her because they know what she's capable of. She's a superhuman person. And everybody else, they've created all of these other um, genetically modified people they've created are superhuman. And so if they rise up against, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, so this is one of those stories that looks back in time as well. The Book of Phoenix refers to this record, an older man living in the desert, I think 200 years later, he stumbles upon this. Uh, he finds this cache of computers, which are at this time considered relics, and he triggers one of them. And on this chip, he discovers Phoenix's story. So we're looking back, and that's the framing. And this is another story that's also told in first person, so the narrative is shaped by how Phoenix sees herself and her creators. It has a big part, um, it, it plays a big part in the story, how she sees herself and the scientists. And she's conflicted throughout the story, you know, as you might imagine she would be. And you can tell she's really angry and for good reason. And I don't know, it feels like I've been reading a lot of books that are vaguely reminiscent of Frankenstein, or maybe I just have Frankenstein on the brain. We've been talking about it a mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. um, who knows? But it definitely has that sort of undertone. And in terms of the immortality element in this story, there is a really sad and meaningful correlation between these genetically manufactured superhumans and the HeLa cells taken from Henrietta Lacks. Which is, Ooh. it's, yeah, I, th I found that fascinating, like, and it's purposeful. And uh, in case the name isn't familiar, Henrietta Lacks was an African-American woman whose cancer cells were harvested without her consent and without compensation to her family. And those cells became some of the most important in medical research because the HeLa cell line was the first immortalized cell line. And I tried to, like, really look into what all of that meant, but I have never been <laughs> – I have never claimed to be great at science, and I was, like, down the hole and, like, okay, I have to stop because <laughs> there, get, there comes a, a time when you're reading academic articles and you have no idea what they're saying. But, yes, so the HeLa cells were the first immortalized cell line, and that plays a part in this story as well. Uh, and there are themes, of course, as you might imagine, of racism and misogyny. They're very much present in the Book of Phoenix. Um, but I think if you like The Regional Office is Under Attack by Manuel Gonzalez, but you want something perhaps less comedic, uh, you'll enjoy this book. And this definitely could have also fallen into the vengeance theme we were just talking about. Oh, yeah. Very strong vengeance theme here, now nice. that I think of it. Um and like, you know, Tanana Reeve Dews, this is also very Octavia Butler reminiscent. It's similar to Wild Seed, especially in terms of people with different powers. Mm -hmm. um, the magic in science fiction and this traveling element, the book takes us from New York to Africa. So, yeah, if you want to read more Okorafor, and why wouldn't you? Because she's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that was the book of Phoenix. And that's nice. it. Yeah. Um, all right. So my sci-fi pick is I was thinking about the different kinds of immortality that there are because, right, there's not just one yes. way that you become immortal. Like there's all different kinds of ways in speculative fiction that one might live forever. Um, and I picked Six Weeks by Mer Lafferty because while it is not physical immortality, it is sort of – 
how do I want to say this? Like, I guess mental, but like you're, you are a person, your personhood becomes immortal because in this book there is cloning. Um, and you don't just like get a new duplicate of your body. You can put your consciousness into that new body and pick up where you left off. Um, so in this concept, there are, um, like you're constantly the people for people who can afford their clones. Um, you're constantly backing up your consciousness so that should you get murdered or something happen or should you fall ill? Um, you can just go ahead and like put your consciousness into your new body and, and you're good to go. Like, ready to go. Uh, and this book is also sort of a locked room murder mystery in space. Um, they, the characters are on a spaceship, um, just, just one ship on a mission. And they all wake up in the like cloning bay to find their previous selves floating around in zero grav murdered. So there's like blood and body fluids everywhere. Mm. And (laughs) they, they, because the characters were murdered, they didn't have time to like upload their consciousnesses. So they have about a six month gap in their consciousness from the last backup to the point at which their previous selves were murdered. So they have to figure out, who did it? And probably the killer doesn't even know, maybe, potentially, right? Because if you can't remember the last six months, like, unless yeah. you were planning the murder for longer than that, who can say? Was like, was it a crime of passion? Was it some plot? Like, was it a conspiracy? Who was involved? Like, these are all the questions that the crew of the spaceship have to sort out. Um, and it is understandably complicated. And so you are getting both their present, like, who done it plotline, and then you get glimpses of their past and like they came from earth and like why are they on this spaceship and what are they doing and like you know they all have secrets so you start to get a peek at like what their secrets are and I thought this book was really engaging and very action-packed like it's definitely a page turner in terms of the whodunit plot line and then I really enjoyed the interspersed flashbacks because it adds so much depth to the characters um it is creepy like not I mean I mean I'm a lightweight when it comes to creep and I was fine um but there are a few moments where you're just like oh like oh this is this is incredibly unnerving <laughs> um but I really loved the exploration I picked it for this theme because I loved the exploration of what it would mean to sort of have of, you know, an, an immortal consciousness, but but not an immortal body, and then how you sort of relate to your life when you know that, you know, it doesn't have to end with your physical self. I think that's super interesting. And and if you can take a consciousness out of a body and put it in a new one, like, what else could you do that maybe is not supposed to be done with your consciousness? So it asks a lot of those questions, which I think are not necessarily the questions that are you see all the time with immortality plots. Um, and so I really enjoyed that different take on what it would mean to be consciously immortal, I guess is the phrase that I'm going with here. So, yes. So if you're a murder mystery fan, if you're a thriller fan, 
and you like space travel and that kind of stuff, you definitely should pick this up. Um, oh, and if you ever saw that movie Sunshine, which I actually am quite attached to for unknowable reasons. I like that movie too. I'm with right? you. Right? It was good. I thought It was so. good. I think this is a strong comp for, for that, even though the reason that they're in space is completely different. Like they're not, you know, plummeting into the sun or anything yeah. like that. But <laughs> but the, the feel, the vibe of it is very similar. So that's Six Wakes by Merlin. Lafferty. That's a very interesting take on immortality and one that gives me the creepy crawlies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. Well, that's it for us and immortality. One day we will talk about vampires. So sorry if you were expecting that. <laughs> but we will. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And of course, you can always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please, if you have a moment, do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us online and it helps us know what you want to hear more of. Um, so, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Williams. And how about you, Jen? I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And that's Jen with two N's. And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.